So we're in part three of our series, Ghost Town, talking about the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in and through us as we follow Jesus. And here's the backbone of what we've said all along. The gravitational pull for the church and for individual believers is toward a single role of the Holy Spirit and a singular gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're attempting to do in this series is to help you and encourage us to defy gravity as we follow Jesus. Because if we want to live a Spirit-led life, we cannot limit the work of the Holy Spirit to what we're comfortable or familiar with. Now today we're here in Chloride, possibly the most well-preserved ghost town that we will see in this series. Located about 35 miles west of Truth or Consequences, Chloride was home to well over 3,000 people in the late 1800s. It began after its founder was faced with an interesting question. What do you do when you discover silver in the middle of another job? That was the decision that Britain Harry Pye faced in 1879. Pye was a mule skinner, freighter, and had done some prospecting. But in 1879, he was primarily working delivering freight for the U.S. Army. During a trip from Hillsboro to Camp Ojo Caliente, he stopped for the night in the canyon where Chloride would be born, and he discovered Silver Float in the Black Range Mountains. He then had a decision to make. Do you, do you forget the delivery for the Army and start mining for the silver right then and right there, or continue with the delivery and the sure payday and hope that no one else discovered the silver while he was gone. That's a big decision. Pi decided to head to Ojo Caliente uh, for the sure payday and took a little bit of the silver that he discovered with him to have it evaluated. When he was told that it was extremely rich silver chloride, where the town got its name, by the way, um, he refused to tell anyone where it had come from. He headed back to the canyon as quickly as he could. Knowing that he needed a little bit of help, he convinced two young men who had recently arrived from Kansas to join him by telling them that he knew of a secret canyon with a ledge of silver. Upon arrival in the canyon, they quickly built a cabin and then set to work to mine the silver. Within a month, Pi and his men found the Mother Load, which became known as the Pi Load, a huge streak of silver ore. Unfortunately for Pi, he wouldn't have long to enjoy his newfound wealth. The area was filled with Apache who were not happy with prospectors and settlers invading their lands. Just two months after he discovered the mother load, he was confronted by a hostile group of Apache, and when his pistol jammed as he tried to fend them off, he was killed. Now, despite the threat of the Apache tribes, the lure of silver was strong. In 1881, 18 new prospectors arrived hoping to find more silver. Just like Pi, they were confronted by Apache tribes and two were killed while the other 16 ran for their lives. But the 16 had seen enough silver that they knew they wanted to return. So they did. Six months later, they returned armed to the teeth and established the official town of Chloride, which as I said earlier, quickly grew to over 3,000 men. As a robust boomtown, Chloride had all the required establishments, nine saloons, two general merchandise stores, butcher shops, hotels, boarding houses, a silver assaying office, a blacksmith shop, a drug store, a law office, a livery stable, a Chinese laundry, a photography studio, a candy store, a hanging tree, and of course, a red light district. But in sad news to me, no church. The town continued to swell as men surveyed 480 prospects, with 42 becoming mines, which is a pretty high number, and 12 of them became highly productive mines. Interestingly enough, unlike most mining ghost towns, 
Chloride didn't empty because the mines ran out of silver. Chloride emptied because of a massive shift in direction by the U.S. government. In 1896, William McKinley was elected President of the United States after running on a platform that promised, among many other things, to change the U.S. monetary system to run on the gold standard. As he promised, one of his very first acts in office was to switch the U.S to the gold standard, which sent silver prices tumbling like rocks. Silver prices dropped in two days from $1.80 per ounce to 18 cents per ounce. In the words of one historian, virtually all mining activity stopped. Chloride died practically overnight. Chloride died because it was caught on the wrong side of a change in direction. And that leads us to the next role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit provides us with direction. And that's important. That's important because you and I know that there are plenty of moments in life where we want to know and need to know what's the right next step. Like Anna and Lieutenant Matthias in Frozen 2, we want to do the next right thing. But before we can do the right next thing, we have to know what the next right thing actually is. Because yes, there are moments where it's clear what's right and what's wrong, but other times it's not so clear. We know what someone needs to hear, but if we say the right thing in the wrong way, the right thing becomes wrong. So we have to figure out the right way to say the right thing. Sometimes we know the right thing, but we don't know the right time. And the right thing at the wrong time ends up wrong. As some of you have had conversations with me over the years, sometimes we find ourselves trying to decide between two really good options. And, and you're trying to decide, well, what's best? How do I honor God most with this choice? Let's be honest, all across our lives, every one of us has a need for some direction. And luckily for us, that's something God provides us through the Holy Spirit. And while we'll get to some of the general life direction stuff in a little bit, God doesn't simply promise us that the Holy Spirit provides general direction. God's Word promises that the Holy Spirit will provide us direction in three specific ways. He'll help us know what to say, He'll help us know how to pray, and He'll help to show us the way. Now, let's start talking about those. First, let's talk about what it means that the Holy Spirit will help us know what to say. Now, interestingly, when I say that the Holy Spirit will give us direction in what to say, I think many of us go, yes, I need that. Because we all know that our mouths can get us in trouble, like, like big trouble. And for those of us thinking that, you're right. We could all let the Spirit, Holy Spirit guide us more in what, we, in what we say to one another. We could all do well to have the Holy Spirit even teach us to speak less. I love, I love what I saw from my Australian friend Dave Adamson recently on Twitter. He said this, Don't speak unless you can improve the silence. Ouch. But when I say that the Holy Spirit gives us direction in what to say, I'm talking about something more specific. Because what Jesus promised in the Gospels is more specific. And that more specific th thing actually has to do with presenting, sharing, and defending what and who we believe in. Here's what Jesus told his followers in Luke chapter 12. He said this, starting in verse 11. He said, And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. 
First of all, let me just say how much I appreciate that Jesus didn't say if you were arrested or if you were brought to trial before rulers and authorities. He said when, meaning Jesus assumed and promised that at some point following him would cause you to experience difficulty. It's like when Jesus promised in this life, you will have trouble. You gotta love the comforting promises of Jesus, don't you? But here's what I really love. Jesus knew that he was sending people out with a command and a commission to spread the good news about him, about his death and his resurrection. And that eventually, with our desire to share our faith or spread our faith, there would be people and sometimes powers that would question our faith that would question the sincerity of our belief, that would question the validity of our claims, or would question whether, our, whether or not our faith would stand up under pressure. And Jesus wanted his followers to know, and Jesus wants you to know, that when you share your faith, when you defend your faith, when you explain your faith, you are never alone. He is right there with you through the Holy Spirit. I remember a short time after I moved to New Mexico, I was living and pastoring in Alamogordo and I was invited to speak at a youth group in Las Cruces. It was exciting. It was my first time coming to Las Cruces and I brought my friend Mike along with me. On the way back, I got to have another first. My first time driving through a border patrol checkpoint. Now, it, it was late at night, I was tired from having preached, and I was not really familiar with what happened at a checkpoint, and I got, I got a little nervous. So when the agent asked me where I was headed, I kid you not, I forgot the name of the town that I lived in. It took me what felt like an hour to stumble out, uh, 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 Alamogordo? To which the agent replied, you don't sound too confident. Where, where, where are you coming from? And, and again, I was so nervous, I couldn't remember the name of the city Las Cruces. And my buddy Mike was no help. He just started cracking up laughing until the agent looked at him and said, what are you laughing about, mister? And at that point, mister stopped laughing. In our own ability, we got completely flustered. We couldn't find the words and we lost our way. And that's the story of the first time that I got arrested at Border Patrol. Just kidding. Here's what's so cool about Jesus' promise. He promised that when you're sharing or defending or explaining your belief in him, you're never operating in your own power and you don't have to find the words yourself. The Holy Spirit will guide your mind to the right words and will guide your mouth to say them. The Holy Spirit never hangs you out to dry when you're trying to share Jesus. I love what Francis Chan said. This is the key to the Holy Spirit working in men is that the heart is to bring more people to the Lord. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, you have to desire to bring more people to know Jesus. It is not about having the power to heal others or power in other things, but in the hope of bringing others to know Jesus. Here's a simple truth. One of the best ways to experience the Holy Spirit's direction is to ask for opportunities to share and for the words to say. See, I, I want to know the Holy Spirit's direction, and so do you. So, what if we made a daily habit of asking the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to share our, or explain our faith, or even to defend it? And let's start seizing the opportunities that present themselves so that we can experience the Spirit's direction in our mind and in our mouth.
The second specific type of direction that we're promised is that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us in our prayer. I, I hope it's okay and you won't judge me for saying this, but I, I'm like you. I don't always know what to be praying for. I mean, I, I've got my list of things that I pray for and I have my list of things that other people have asked me to pray for. And, and I'm really faithful and consistent with that. But when I've done all that, I often come to a place where I feel like I'm not quite done, but I also don't know what to do next or, or what to pray next. And as a pastor, I would feel really bad about that, except that when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, he described almost the exact same thing. Here's what he wrote in Romans chapter eight. He said, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, what Paul says is so powerful that as humans, we're all weak in some way when it comes to prayer. But the promise is even more amazing that where we're weak, the Holy Spirit provides strength and direction. That when we don't know how to pray or what to pray, he provides a way forward. When you're praying and you don't feel like you're done, but you don't know what to do next, you lean into the Holy Spirit. You can ask him what he wants you to pray. You can ask him to speak to you. You can even ask him to speak for you. Another way that this plays out, and, and I don't remember if it was my parents or my pastor that I heard talk about this often as I was growing up, um, but that if, if during the night you can't sleep or if you find yourself feeling a restlessness, that can sometimes be the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention that you need to pray for something or for someone. Now, I, I've tried to embrace that throughout my life that, that if I find myself restless with no explanation, I start praying and I don't always know what to pray for or who I'm praying for. So, so I ask God if there's anyone specific that I'm supposed to be praying for or something sp specific to be praying about. And sometimes there's an answer and a lot of times there's not. And when there's not, I lean into the spirit again and I say, I'm just gonna keep talking to God and you guide my prayers. Now, I, I wish I understood how this works, but man, I'm glad that I was taught this from a young age. I've had many times that this has happened, but I've had four unforgettable times in my adult life where this has happened. And I say unforgettable because it was absolutely clear that God was working in the middle of the night. Three times while I was still praying late into the night and once early into the morning, I received phone calls from people. And I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty popular guy, but I'm not popular enough that people call at 2 a.m. just to talk. These calls were all people who were really going through some stuff and needed someone to talk with about some pretty heavy stuff. The fourth time, if I'm being honest, is still to this day, it happened about 10 years ago and it's still difficult to talk about because it involved a wake up call at 6 a.m. the next morning with a family asking me to come to their house because something heartbreaking had happened in the night and they wanted me to be there when they shared the news with their teenage daughter. And in that moment, I was so glad that I was prayed up. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying I love middle of the night phone calls. I, I really don't. But I love that in each of those situations, God was at work before I knew that there was work to be done. So I'm just saying, what if you invited the Holy Spirit to guide your prayers? What if instead of coming in with your lists and your requests, you also allowed some space for the Holy Spirit to direct you and to direct your prayers? I mean, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if God has been wanting to direct your life and you'll begin to understand that direction only by letting God direct the way that you and I pray?
So the Holy Spirit, he helps us know what to say. He helps us know what to pray. And finally, he shows us the way. This is the everyday life stuff. This is, what do you say when someone's hurting? This is, are we ready to have another kid? This is, how, how do we properly discipline our children so that they grow up to be people who love God and love others? This is, are we ready to buy? This is, how do we talk to mom about moving into an assisted living facility? Life comes, you all know this, life comes with plenty of difficult moments and crossroad decisions. And these are decisions where you can't just stop. You have to choose something. Coride City leaders faced one of these really difficult decisions as the town grew. And their decision was this, what do you do when you have 3,000 men, no women, and you want your town to grow into a real city where families could live? When Coride became an official town, they mapped and plotted out the, the city. They divided up the land. As an incentive, they decided to promote the promise of one plot of land to the first woman who came to live in Coride and stayed for at least a month. And in addition to that, they promised another plot of land to the father of the first baby born in Coride, provided, of course, that he could actually prove that the baby was his. I don't know how you do that before DNA testing. It was an interesting solution to say the least, but it actually worked. Ladies flocked to Coride hoping to be the woman who would be the first female property owner in Coride. And as the ladies flocked to a town full of 3,000 men who hadn't seen women in ages, you might imagine babies followed pretty quickly. Now, obviously, I am not saying that whenever you have a problem in your life, you should throw property at women and babies. But, it, but here's what's interesting when you look at scripture. It shows a vast difference between man's solutions and spirit-led solutions. Look at the contrast between what father and son, David and Solomon wrote in relation to spirit-led versus man-made decisions. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. David then wrote in Psalm 143, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Now that's about as stark a contrast as you can get. The way that seems right to us in our humanity ends in death. The way that the Spirit leads us causes us to move forward on a firm footing or a firm foundation. This seems like a pretty easy decision, doesn't it? I don't want to end up on a path with a literal dead end caused by my own decisions. I would much rather have the Spirit lead me forward to firm footing. So how, how do we do that? Francis Chan had two really interesting thoughts about this in his book, Forgotten God. Here's the first. There have been many times when I've tried to lead the Holy Spirit. I've wanted to direct him and tell him what to do and when to do it. The irony is that the Holy Spirit was given to direct us. Desiring the Holy Spirit means we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. By definition, it's ridiculous to desire the Holy Spirit for our own purposes. The Spirit is not a passive power that we can wield as we choose. The Spirit is God, a being who requires that we submit ourselves to be led by Him. He said, do you really want to be led? Even people who are natural leaders don't get to lead the Spirit. Everyone is called to be led by Him. Here's the thing. Our first step is we have to actually allow ourselves to be led. We can't ask the Holy Spirit to direct when we aren't willing to follow. This means we have to submit to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Here's the second thing that Francis wrote. 
He said, I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. God cares more about our response to his spirit's leading today in this moment than about what we intend to do next year. In fact, he said, the decisions that we make next year will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we submit to the spirit right now in today's decisions. It's easy to use the phrase, God's will for my life, as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. He said, it's safer to commit to following him someday instead of this day. If it wasn't painfully obvious, here's what he was saying. Far too many of us act like we're trying to figure out God's will for our lives, and many of us genuinely are. But we can become so consumed with figuring out tomorrow that we forget God has steps for us to take today. So on top of the fact that we actually have to let the Spirit lead, not us lead, we have to understand that we have to submit and obey today. Not tomorrow, not a week from now, today right now, that anything less than a full-fledged, immediate obedience misses how the Holy Spirit wants to direct us in the here and now and into what's next. See, every one of us can do that. Every one of us can invite the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to share our faith and to give us the words to say. Every one of us can invite the Holy Spirit into our prayer lives to make our, li our prayer lives stronger and clearer than they have ever been before. And every one of us can invite the Holy Spirit to truly lead the way as we make decisions for our today and for our next steps. Every one of us can do that. And when you invite the Holy Spirit into any one of those arenas, we begin to know the Holy Spirit in a brand new way as he provides the direction that only he can bring.